Hi, and welcome to Two Sober Chicks with Julie and Lisa. I'm Lisa, and this is our speaker series edition. Please welcome from Queens slash Staten Island, somewhere in New York, we have Trisha G. from AA Solution Seekers. My name is Trisha. I am an alcoholic. Um, just some stats slash information. My sobriety date is January 1st. 2011. I have a sponsor who knows that she's my sponsor. Um, I sponsor other women today. I have commitments in my home group and I have commitments below the group level of my, for my home group. Um, let's see what God wants you guys to hear today, right? Because it's not about me. All right. been a minute since I've spoken for a long period of time and for anybody who's been in the home group for the past week or so you've heard a lot from me so I apologize if it's a little repetitive but my story is my story so let's see I guess we start at the beginning right my experience strength and hope um originally I am from Rockaway, which is in Queens, New York. And it's considered the Irish Riviera. And all the things I'm going to say don't make me an alcoholic. It's just just the priming of how I was raised. <laughs> I grew up in a family where drinking was just the, the normal. I, I didn't know people that did not drink. Um, when in the big book, I think it's in the doctor's opinion, it says my alcoholic life was the only one I ever knew. And I paraphrase that because it's not a direct quote. Um, that's, that was the phrase that I was just like, oh my God, this book gets me because I really didn't know sober people. I did not know people that did not drink. If you weren't drinking, you were sick or pregnant. Like those were the reasons you didn't drink and sick was like, meh, you know, maybe you didn't drink. So that was my growing up. Uh, my first drink was at 12 and I remember feeling that ease and comfort, the ah, like the shoulder drop, the ah, and as it had, as it says in the big book, again, I had arrived. I really, it really took all that anxiety and the fact that I didn't feel like I fit in. I was uncomfortable all the time in my own skin um, and just always worried. Always my mind was constantly going and that drink just took it away it became increasingly more as I got older. Um, by high school, I was drinking most weekends, every weekend. I'm, let's not just say most weekends. And um, even during school. And I still managed to like go to class. There were 
non-AA approved uh, substances involved in high school. And, and I, I did those things like it talks about in the book, you know, I, I, I would switch my, I would switch from one thing to the other. If things got a little out of hand, um, And it never, it never changed anything. Like switching from one thing to the next thing. I'm not going to drink liquor. I'm only going to drink beer. I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to do those non-AA approved substances. You know, like it didn't matter what I was doing. It usually ended me up in the same place. So I, I graduated high school with honors. I don't know how I pulled that off. You know, just goes to show you um, we alcoholics are intelligent people in spite of ourselves. Um, I feel like I've been thinking about my first step experience and how and when I crossed that line that they say where I became the pickle instead of the cucumber. And I really feel like it began right after high school. And that is, I feel like that's when I crossed that line. I did not know what to do with myself after high school, honestly. Like high school was a big thing for me. And I really enjoyed it and I felt lost. I tried going to college. It just wasn't working out. Drinking became too important. So I started working because, hey, we were poor and I needed money to drink. So you got to go to work to do that. Um, then I started losing jobs because I am that alcoholic. You know, I, I show up. On a Tuesday, as it says in the book, it was a Tuesday and I, I would forget about Monday and I would forget about Fridays and I would forget about most days. And then I started joining things to, so I could drink like, like Bill did. He goes golfing. I joined the volleyball team and the dart team. And I was an avid supporter of the softball teams. So there were many days of the week that required drinking because that's what we did. And those next days, like I, I wasn't the person that could have one or two. I, I, I drank until I was stopped and usually in a not so fun way with like vomiting and alcohol poisoning, you know, the fun stuff. Um, things got really bad when I was about 24, those non-AA approved things were getting way out of hand. Um, and I was lying to everybody. And then I woke up one morning, I think it was in April and I, I, I had no more lies. Like, I didn't want to go to work that day. I wanted to go do what I wanted to do. And there were just no more lies. 
So I'm 24, year old, 24 years old and I'm out of lies. I mean, seems a little crazy. So at that point, I asked for help. And I, I wound up going to a detox and a rehab and, and a halfway house and ended up out in Staten Island, New York, which before that, I only had driven through that because that's how you got to Jersey. You know, like there was no reason to stop in Staten Island. You just kept kept it moving. Um, and I mourned. I mourned my best friend alcohol for so long at that point because I really... I had such a hard time seeing that I was an alcoholic. I really didn't understand the full weight of that yet. Like the other stuff, no problem. I saw it. It was completely and utterly unmanageable. And, but the alcohol gave me, it gave me such a hard time. And I used to beg God. I used to beg him constantly, like, please, if I'm an alcoholic, just just show me a sign, give me a reason, do something. And then eventually he answered that for me, but we'll get to that. So at that point, I'm sober, I'm going to meetings, I get an apartment, I'm staying on Staten Island, thinking that that geographical thing was going to help. Um, not living in my hometown, silly, silly. Uh, and I stayed sober. I, I, I was, let me, I was dry. I was not sober. I would go to meetings. And at that time, even if they were talking about the steps or the program, I don't think I was capable of hearing it because I was so blocked off from everything at that point. So I made it a couple of years. And in that time, I really didn't understand why I was so miserable. Like nothing, everything, I was sober, but my life was still unmanageable. And I would go to meetings and all of you people, damn you people, you were happy and you were smiling, and you were giggling, and I hated you because I was just like, what are they drinking? Is there something in the coffee? So then I started drinking the coffee, and that it wasn't something in the coffee. So I'll tell you that much right now. You know, I, I really couldn't figure out why you guys were so happy. Um, and I ended up being that person that dry – I, I went to the psych ward because I thought I was crazy. And Bill says it. Was I crazy? I don't know. I ended up at the psych ward twice. And I did a, I did a couple of weeks there both times. And then I, I left there. And, and at some point during this madness of trying to figure out if I was an alcoholic or not, I fell in love. You know how we do. We go to meetings and, and we fall in love. So I fell in love with a gentleman from, from AA, my first husband, Christian. And we got married and he, there were lots of red flags, but 
I was just like, oh, it can't, he can't be that bad. You know, we were both sober. Life was great. Um, until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. So we're we're married for a couple, for a year or so, and and I've had back surgeries during this time. Um, life is still unmanageable because I have yet to open a book and do the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. So my life is still unmanageable. I'm still trying to manage my own life, and eventually. I drank because I didn't have the power to not drink. I was relying on myself and those outside things, my life, my husband, my everything was just too much for me to manage. And since I know how to fix that, I, I, and my idea of fixing it was the booze. So I drank. And for several years, I was not in AA, and I was drinking the majority of that time until I got pregnant, and then I stopped drinking, and we had a kid, and then my husband relapsed, and at that point, I really learned what those red flags were, and now those flags were on fire because I married a man who was not just an alcoholic, but um, an avid uh, crack cocaine user and heroin user. So I got to learn what those red flags that I saw in the beginning really meant when he was robbing us and and police were being called. And it was just the insanity, you know, that I signed up for willingly. I was a willing participant in all the insanity of my life. And that continued. I would leave. I, I would come back. I would move because moving to Florida and living with my family, who had just recently moved there, was a good idea. And it was like out of the pot into the fire, you know, because I'm leaving the, the husband who's drinking and using and going down to Florida where there's drinking yeah. <laughs> and living with it. So it, there was no escape. Plus, the biggest plus is I thought I would feel better. And I forgot I brought this thing with me, you know, my head where all that insanity lives, the manufacturer of my own misery lives. So I go to Florida and life isn't getting better. And it's to the point where my parents actually said, like, you need to go get help. And I was just like, I need help. You guys are drinking all day. I didn't say this to them because God knows you can't say things like that. But I said, okay, I'll go get help. So I found a therapist. I found a psychiatrist. I got on some depression meds. Um, and I ended up moving back in with my husband who was living in Staten Island so the first day I moved back in with him, he robs my purse of like four or $500 and I catch him in our bathroom smoking crack. And I was like, yes, this is exactly what we needed. Exactly what we needed, you know? Um, 
but I'm so grateful that this happened because at that point I was just like, I'll just fix him. I can fix him. You know, us women, we like to fix you men, you know, all the time. We're going to fix it, make it better. So I was just like, fine, I'll go to a meeting with you. Even though I hated you people, I was going to the meeting with him to be supportive. You know, I'll drive the car. I'll, I'll bring us to an AA meeting. You go get some help and I'll just be there as like some moral support. Um, and I don't know what happened at that meeting. I really don't. I mean, I know now that it was God. God happened at that meeting. And I wound up staying. And he was in and out for several years. I finally left him and he passed away in 2017. Um, yeah, but meanwhile, I'm, I'm still going to AA. I got sober in that same house where there was screaming and yelling and robbing and selling food stamps, not having money. I don't have money to do anything because it's all gone. And it, like, I have to sleep with money hidden on my person so he can't find it. Um, It was just complete insanity. And that's where I got sober and stayed sober. I got a sponsor, went through the steps and my life's, my life stayed the same. All that external stuff stayed the same. But here started to change. And in my head, the between my left and right ear, that brain of mine, it was getting better. There was less chatter. I was able to meditate, pray, things that I never thought I'd say I was doing ever. And I was able to be a parent to my, my little kid living in this chaos, you know? And like I said, I had prayed and prayed and, and this is, I think God gave me my kiddo for this, for one, this is one of the reasons he gave me kiddo. Um, when I was pregnant with him, I became gestational diabetic and, and it was like, he answered my prayer. Finally, was I alcoholic? Was I not alcoholic? Now it didn't matter. I just can't drink. And yet I drank. I still drank after I became diabetic. So I was just like, hmm, I am an alcoholic because I cannot stop. So I've had many different types of bottoms in this program. That last one, when I went to that meeting with my ex-husband and for him, I was just existing at that point. There was no happiness. There was no, I was just waking up, going through the motions of the day, trying to just do everything I can to, to the bare minimal effect because it was just too much. And I can say that I don't live that way today. I really don't. Life has gotten way better today. Um, I met my second husband in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, I'm a glutton for punishment. I love this man. 
He is nothing like my first husband. And I'm very grateful to God for that. And um, he loves our kiddo as if it was his own kiddo. And I feel like I could see God's plan for us because it was always meant to be this way. That's the way that's the way this feels in my life today that I was supposed to marry Christian, have a kid with him, experience all that chaos and then be with Mike and raise our kiddo. Um at one point during this time because I I've been I've had different levels of being on the beam or as they say, like in the middle of that triangle, you know, of uh, recovery service and uh, unity. And I've bounced off of many of the, the walls of that triangle. Sometimes I leaned more on the fellowship. Sometimes I leaned more on doing service. And um, it's definitely, I'm grateful for all three sides because I need all three. I am, I'm a sick individual who needs to work every aspect of the 36 principles that we have in this program, <laughs> because without them, every single one of them, um, I can get very sick very quickly. Let's see, we, we talked about what life used to be like, right? Check. Now, what happened? So I was doing these steps and I, I got to look at myself. I did one, obviously one was the most part of my story. I did that before I got here, you know, and then I experienced more of one while living in this insanity. And then uh, found a, a power greater than myself, which I struggled with because I always had that Catholic punishing God that we semi listened to on like Christmas and Easter. So that was my God at that point. And my mom would always say, see, I told you God was going to punish you. And I'd be like, all right, mom, thanks. So I, I, I started to, I had an educational variety. They talk about that in the, the back of the book where I would just keep putting one foot in front of the other put my faith into something and it would show me all the time that it was working out. So that's, that was my way of finding God. That's this power greater than myself, you know, just, it was slow and steady. It was just like, just leave it in God's hands or whatever. I had the ocean as a higher power. I had the sun as a higher power. I think Jesus was my higher power for a hot minute when I was trying to look into religions. And then I was just like, yeah, religion doesn't work for me. So it was no longer Jesus. But hey, if he works for you, God bless. Because I'm not here to tell you who to believe in. None of us are. You know? And now my higher power is more like a, a spirit. It's like spirituality. It works. I don't question it. But every time it needs to grow. That's all I knew. 
Like I can't put God in a box. I can't define God because who am I? You know, so I can't put God in a box. So I just let him grow as he needs to. And that's um that's been my experience where over the years my God has grown to help me handle whatever he's put in front of me. Um God's will. I laugh because um everyone kept telling me to do God's will in the beginning. I was just like, what? And what does that even mean? You know? And after a while, it turned out to mean the opposite of what I wanted to do. Because I was so used to being selfish and self-centered and reacting to life out of fear that I was just doing things. And God's will was usually the opposite of that. So that was my easy way to figure out what God's will was. So it was just like, okay, how would Trisha normally react? Okay, I hear you. And now we'll do the opposite. And it took a minute. You know, I'm not going to say it says progress, not perfection. And I am all about that because God knows I am not perfect, nor do I ever want to be. Um, Like Bill, I had, I've suffered from depression in sobriety. I have. And these things, they come up, you know, like we get sober. Our lives become manageable because we have a new manager. And life still happens, you know. Things happen, people die. Other things happen, people get hurt, kids kids will be the death of me, I swear. My kiddo will be the death of me, but I love them. They don't, I wish they would have given a chapter chapter for the kids because we definitely need a chapter for the kids in this book so we don't beat them with the book. Um, I guess because Bill and Lois were not fortunate to have kids, they just didn't see that that was a thing that needed to happen in there, right? Um sure the rest of the people knew though all those other hundred or so they say um so when the depression would happen i would retreat from all you guys stop going to meetings stop talking to people i would isolate and then my disease would have me exactly where it wants me and I picture my disease as like this little Trisha with devil ears, you know, and a tail. And it's like, yes, yes, yes. Let the hate consume you. So that's my disease talking to me. And it wants me alone. It wants me isolated. It wants me not speaking to you guys because you guys are God's agents. You know, God speaks through you people to me. And what would happen is I would get to a point where the pain was so great. And I heard this in the very beginning, that pain is our greatest motivator. And I hate it because it is. It motivates me to get up off my butt, stomp my feet like the, the big baby toddler I am, 
and do things in spite of myself. So when the depression would get terrible, I would jump right into the deep end of the AA pool, throw myself onto committees, and like triple down on AA. Because at the end of the day, God and the people of AA are always going to help us. That's the answer. You know, it's very simple. We trust God and then we help someone else. We talk to other people, other AA people. Very simple. That's the that's the program, you know, in a nutshell. We have to do some stuff in the middle of that, like clean house and make amends and yeah, but that just makes us be more human, you know, makes us be able to look those people in the eye. I learned so much in this program from you people who, like I said, I hated. Um, you guys showed me how to be a, a woman with grace and dignity, which I never wanted, but I love it today. You know, <laughs> I didn't see myself as that person. You, you taught me how to be a mom, how to show up how to be a person of my word, how to not lie. Like there's so many things, like how to be a productive member of society, period. You know, like I didn't know how to do those things. I knew how to get drunk. You know, I knew how to do those non-AA approved substances. I knew how to lie and get out of work until I didn't, you know. My life today is so much better than it's ever been. And I mean, like I said, we still have life going on. I have a kid that's currently in the psych ward and has been there for on and off for the past four years. The last two and a half years basically lives there more than he does at home. And it's, like I said, we need a chapter for those kids. Definitely need a chapter for those kids in this book. Um, and it's with the help of the, with the fellowship, the program, my God, that I'm able to still be a mom to that kid. Cause if I was drinking, I would not care that my kid was in the psych ward. Oh my God, that's free babysitting. Are you kidding me? I would be like, yes, you know, someone's taking care of my child 24 hours a day, seven days a week. God loves me. You know, this is me as a drunk. I would, oh, that would have been a blessing in disguise instead of what it really is, which is sad that my child's not here and, and depressing. But I put myself into AA. You know, when in doubt, that's the answer for me. Throw yourself into AA. Get yourself moving. Someone said it the other day, change, move a muscle, change a thought, you know, like surround yourself with newcomers, be of service, because that's what I need to do today. And luckily, I have time to do those things today because I don't have to be a full-time mom. You know, I get to be a mom that shows up and, and loves my kid, but realizes that Anything besides that is above my pay grade. 
You know, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist. And those are the things he needs is I'm not that. So my job is to show up and love him. And I get to show up here and give you guys more of me. Yay, lucky you. You know, um, I get to be of service here. I get to be of service to my sponsees. And I'm loving it. I'm loving it so much. Hmm. I know there's so much more time that I need to fill in. So. I'm so sick of hearing my own voice, guys. But I will, I will speak some more. Okay. God, what do you want these people to hear today? God's saying he wants you to hear about my grandfather. Okay, so my grandfather, I love the man. When he passed away, I was living on Staten Island and I I showed up, I, I got some flowers, you know, because that's what we do. And I walk into the funeral home and, and there's his bar stool from the bar and i'm like what in god's name and then i had to think about it and as a child i spent so much time in bars while my mom and grandfather spoke i learned like how to play the jukebox you know like all these skills you need as a child like how to play those video games the ones that like the joke of poker, which kids should not be playing. I've, I learned how to play those. I learned how to play the jukebox. I learned how to play that shuffleboard game with the sawdust all over the place. You know, like these are the things, these were the skills that I attained as a child, hanging out in the bar, drinking Shirley Temples because we were fancy, dancing to music with me and my sister in the darkness like the door would open and you would actually go blind because it was so dark in this bar so that's what I remember from my childhood and I really thought my grandfather lived there I really did because I never went to his house we never went to grandpa's house and like had dinner or like dropped off food for him or whatever you know like what you would do for a grandpa you know we would we never went to the bakery and got him some cookies and went to grandpa's house no we went to the bar and we visited grandpa at the bar. So this stool was sitting there and on top of the stool was a bottle of, I don't even know, it was a bottle of some kind of alcohol. And here is my family doing shots inside the funeral home, which is illegal. Um, and just doing it because they can. And this is, this is my family. I think that about sums them up and my grandfather. So that's, so I finally know where my grandfather lives. He lives in Florida now. Um, his ashes sit on top of the bar stool that my mom was just like, no, it's coming with us because he bought that. 
So now the bar stool and grandpa's ashes live down in Florida in the sunroom in Venice, Florida. And there's a picture that she put on top because it's still in the same box. Like she didn't go out and buy him a pretty urn or anything because it's already in a box. You know, who who needs an urn? So grandpa's ashes sit on top of his bar stool in the box that he was originally mailed to them in <laughs> with a picture of him with a beer in his hand on top of that. And I just, I just love my family so much because that is, that is the epitome of what, what growing up was like with them right there in that one little story. So that is, uh, that is about my family. I still have time. Dang it. Okay. So, but I'm grateful today that I was able to show up for those things, you know, and mitigate some of that nonsense, like to show up and be like of usefulness. Same thing when my uncle Ronnie passed away, who was my grandfather's brother. He was like the patriarch of our family and they rented a party bus to go from the, no, I'm serious. It was a party bus. It was a ghetto, broke down, nasty party bus that had literal wick of furniture in the back, like, like just placed there. And we were on this party bus going from the cemetery, from the church to the cemetery while they were all drinking on the party bus. It was quite the scene. And it was all written on. Like someone had had this party bus like the day before or the weekend before. And it was like, good luck, so-and-so. And blah. like there was like writing all over the sides of the bus. It was very inappropriate. And I think our driver was drunk because he was a maniac. But it was... It was what it was. And again, my family is who they are. And after we had the funeral at the cemetery, they all got a beer. And they, of course, tried to hand me one because it's only been, I don't know, forever. And they still try to hand me beers. God bless them. I love them. And they drank. And I... I think I had my water and that was that was life you know so that was my my beautiful stories of my family because I love them so much and I still go visit them and I think this is important that I had to realize very early on very very early on that if I wanted to be around these family members and it's every single one of them you know I needed to fully accept that I was alcoholic and that I could not drink and that what they do is none of my business, you know, and be okay with that. And I really sat with myself and, and was just like, okay, Trish, this is the way it is. You know who they are. You know what they're about. 
you want to go there and visit them, you want to spend Thanksgiving with them, you need to realize that this is what's going to happen while you're there and be okay with it and have a way out because that's that's my uh, solution to that today is to make sure that I protect myself and love myself and respect myself enough to know when it's time to go. So those were things I learned with the help of all of you beautiful people. And I really cannot say anything else. I am, my mouth is just done. So I love y'all and I'm so grateful I found this group and I'm so grateful you go, you guys accepted me as a group member and I feel like I've come home. So I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you, Trisha. Thanks for joining us as a group member at AA Solution Seekers. And thank you as well for a great talk today and sharing your experience of strength and hope with us. Please join us again next week for another fabulous speaker on Two Sober Chicks.